conversation. And for everyone that wasn't here when we weren't recording, sucks to suck. Sorry, whatever. Just hop on in. Behind you is the book, White. Is that by Christopher Whitcomb? Boy, you don't miss a beat, do you? So without glasses on, I wouldn't be able to see anything. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Behind you. I know it's old glory, but... <laughs> Yes, so Chris Wickham Hostage rescue team A teammate on the hostage rescue team He was a sniper, I was an assaulter But yes, I have Black, Black, white, white, cold zero Cold zero from him, yep I haven't read cold zero I read black and I read white when I was in high school So 2008 and 2009 And I adored those books I loved everything about them And then I couldn't find them for like 10 years and that was like the my first brush ever with like even the concept of like black ops so i was like what like what is this and like i remember i'd always look for the book and you know i'd ask librarians or I'd go looking on amazon and they'd be like what's it about i'd be like it was about black ops and they're like what's it called i'd be like i swear to god it's called black and i'm like, they're like does he have any other works so i'm like there's another one and it's called white and I, yeah. I somehow found it like a year ago and i read him again but yeah he's on the hostage rescue team and on your website said HRT and I was like I recognize that so I saw white behind you and I was like my man yeah now Chris is uh Chris is a, a good friend of mine and um when we wrap up remind me and I will put the two of you in contact and if you'd like to have him on um I think Chris would absolutely do it I will shit my pants if you put me in contact with him <laughs> well I can see that we're good here so you can speak in PG-13 yes tones? oh you can All say right, whatever good. the fuck you want man I, I try to let the guests take the lead because some hey I get it some of them have young kids or you know some of them are like hey I teach like a second grade and I know they're gonna watch it so I can't be talking about like dicks and titties and A-bombs and I'm like gotcha keep it G but clearly I have already spoiled that so I guess guest doors open so I don't know let it loose for, okay, but for everyone listening, how would you introduce yourself, sir? How <laughs> would I introduce myself? I, I'm just happy to be on your podcast. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a retired FBI guy. Um, real appreciative that you uh, even find me remotely relevant. So uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, my man. Well, yeah. So you were on, you were on the hostage rescue team, and. Uh, I've, I, and if you can't, if, if for, and for anyone listening knows, and you'll learn, there's absolutely no structure to this podcast. It's whatever pops in, you just grab it and keep going with that. So, just in the in the going with con- the consistency of this podcast being nothing but word vomit for 253 episodes, let's just jump into it. HRT. I've always wondered if, let's say, there was like, you know, I'm sure it's playing through up, down, and backwards. But if there's ever something that like. And I don't know if this is like OPSEC, but like at the White House or something, like VVVIP. Would they throw in HRT or would they just bring in Delta? Or do the, is it is it the it does it overlap enough that because I know it's I mean you guys what you train you guys train at Quantico, right? I mean it's it's in the beginning of black, uh Whitcomb talks about it, how insane it is. So what 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 do you think? And that's based on nothing, and I didn't tell you that that's what we're talking about, but apparently that's what I'm talking about now, so <laughs> No, I uh, no, I, I like free flow, so this works. So um, 
Well, let's uh, just so that your your viewers or your listeners understand sure. um, the, the way that it works inside the country, domestically speaking, um, there's a thing called posse comitatus, which restricts mm-hmm. the military from being able to do any type of law enforcement functions inside, you know, the, the, the continental United States. So um, you have to have law enforcement elements to do anything like you're describing, let's say something fictional. I know that that Hollywood has done a couple uh-huh. of treatments about the White House. Yeah, being Olympus taken over. down. Yeah, how, right. So how would that happen? Well, the first thing is the Secret Service has, you know, the closest protection detail that takes care of POTUS and the POTUS and obviously the White House. If there was ever a requirement for take back, meaning God forbid terrorists took over the White House or took over, you know, you know, the, you know, Congress, you know, Capitol Hill, this, that, and the other Supreme Court. Um, HRT, the FBI's hostage rescue team, is the only tier one civilian non-military counterterrorism operator realm. So, yes, they would be at the tip of the spear where that comes. I mean, certainly there's Capitol Police. There's, you know, you know, Washington, D.C. metropolitan SWAT teams. There's FBI SWAT teams that are scattered across the country. But HRT is the one tier one asset that closely models. You know, you mentioned Delta or SEAL Team Six, Mm -hmm. the Army Rangers, Marine Force Recon, those kind of elements. So in that instance, yes, that is something that HRT trains for, which are take back missions, meaning somebody has captured somebody that is you know, a, a high value target and we have to go in and get them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And it's, I would, I would imagine it's, it's, I'm again, speaking from someone who shot a gun a couple times in my life. So from all of my experience on tier one teams, let me lay it on you guys. But yeah, I always imagine, right. There's gotta be a certain relative. There's gotta be a certain, I guess, amount of ease when it's outside of the borders, because it's, I don't know, you're just kind of going in and wiping everyone out except for, you know, and again, highly generalized, simplified answer versus, you know, it's not it's not chemotherapy. We're just going to go in and nuke it all. This is more of like a excising a brain tumor right next to like an artery. Right. You got to go in and it's that's where it gets tricky. You can't just ice everybody. Right. Well, yeah, you're you're, you're speaking about the difference between military operations sure. and law enforcement functions now. Having said that, the U.S. military is a cut above, right? We, we agree that the United States military is the premier military in the world. There's, there's, there's nothing like our armed forces because they do play by the rules. And when they don't play by the rules, there are mechanisms in place and we charge people with war crimes and, and you know, UCMG, the Uniform, mm-hmm. UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, we hold people accountable. But yes, when you're in a military situation, you know, the, the biggest difference is you have fully automatic weapons yeah. and you lay down suppressive fire. Yeah. When you're dealing with things inside the continental United States, as part of a law enforcement function, there's no such thing as suppressive fire. Yeah. There's no such thing as fully automatic. Every single round that exits your the barrel of your weapon has to be accounted for. Yeah. So there's a slight bit of difference. Sure. Now, I'm not suggesting the military just goes out there willy yeah. nilly, yeah. but yes, there are more there are more restraints when you're dealing with a law enforcement function versus a military function. Now this is. This is more of a random question. 
what what all do you know about something that's always interested me is and by all means if you want to take this conversation in any direction you just grab the reins and i'll follow you i don't care um is um so hrt but also is it cat counter assault team for the secret service sure so just so that your viewers or listeners you know understand every every law enforcement element let, let's go back to you sure me i can take the reins it's yours let, let, let's go back to let's go back to the the olympics in munich germany in 1972 right sure. the munich olympics are famous or infamous for the fact that at that period of time um some palestinian terrorists took a number of israeli uh athletes hostage and then ended up killing them um and at the time because you got to remember 1972 we were only about 30 years 27 28 years away from the end of world war ii where germany nazi germany had been shut down they were not allowed to have a, a military so on the east germany side the west germany side they were not allowed to have a military and they had basically border police and they had police officers but when the hostage situation in 1972 that played out on american televisions and played out on televisions around the world when that happened there was no response to it we did not have back in those days other than possibly the british special air service sas uh-huh. is the israelis had mossad uh-huh. um you know again germany had like border police but in 1972 that was the impetus for the rest of the world to say, hey, sure. listen, we, we got to step up our game. Now, you move into, you know, the United States, you know, we didn't have any type of, you know, SWAT was a nascent type of nascent type of construct because in 1966, August 1st, and I'm going to put my professor hat on here, August 1st, 1966, uh, uh, a Vietnam vet by the name of Charles Whitman, right? He killed his mother. He had all types of, you know, mental health issues. He took a, a, a hunting rifle and a pistol and he climbed the clock tower uh-huh. at the University of Texas, right? August 1st, 1966. He killed a bunch of young students, co-eds that were down in the quadrangle at the time. And a campus police officer and a local sheriff's deputy climbed the tower, went up and engaged him, ended up killing him. And really in 1966, that was for America. That was like, I don't want to suggest that it was the first mass shooting, but it was the one that got our attention. We said, hey, we don't have anything in place for law enforcement to respond to a threat like that. So you take that in 1966, you take the Munich Olympic hostage situation in 1972, and that those two combined things were basically the catalyst for United States law enforcement to say, we got to create something different. And that was SWAT, the special weapons and tactics teams that came online in the early 70s, probably around 73, 74, 75. That's when the FBI started their first SWAT program. And that's also when a lot of police departments around the country, at least the big ones in big metropolitan areas, did the same. So it was kind of like a... You could almost say it was like a mirror of uh, of forty seven, right? Because we had the OSS in, in in World War II, but then we came out of it, separated the Air Force, but also big one created the CIA because we were like, hey, 
rules of the game are changing. We don't have this external apparatus. So it was kind of the mirror, right? We now have this going on, and it's like, hey, you know, we're we're running a train on the rest of the world externally, right? We've got this mil. It's us in Russia, but yeah, we don't have. We we've got the we've got the the kingdom walls, but it's like oh we're realizing shit can still go down inside the kingdom walls, and that's yeah that that's got to be so for someone like you and myself as I'm a, I like to quote Elon Musk I am nauseatingly patriotic so everything I say that may seem not like that is more so me playing devil's advocate. What is what is the um what is the balance between that sort of initiation, right, 66, 72, the catalyst for the formation of that sort of domestic heavy hand and the the scare of, how do I word, um, a domestic, mil- you know, the you hear it a lot, it's a lot of buzzwords, right, the militarization of the police. What What is the balance between that? What is the balance between, you know, where do we, and again, this is me as someone that I personally, I, I, I don't care. I think those teams are awesome. But trying to look at it from the devil's advocate, we have this, you know, we can't let the government get too strong. You know, the government that's strong enough to give you everything is strong enough to take it all away. What's the what's the fine line we walk with that if, between militarization to police and having to have those having to have those teams, which we need those teams 1000 percent like we absolutely need them. What is, yeah, what, what's your opinion on that? Again, take the reins. I'm following you, man. So, so as a guy who is actually studying this as part of my doctoral yes. pursuit, I'm studying police use of force. Um, yes, I think right now in the, in the current environment or the current climate we have right now with defund the police, uh-huh. abolish the police. Uh-huh. And a number of people have written books. I think Radley Balco is a... Uh, is a, a journalist that wrote a book called, you know, the militarization of the police. And there are people that argue that one of the problems for law enforcement is the fact that this episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. They are viewed now, let's say now in the last five, 10 years as an occupying army or an occupying force sure. in communities. And that's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and I get that. And I understand that. And I understand, especially when you're talking about the relationship between police and communities of color. Yes. You have to recognize what that perception is. Now, if you go back to and again, I'm a, I'm a student of history, as, a, as I see that you are as well in regards to policing and the police profession. You go back to the early 90s. And I don't know if you. You remember, obviously, you're younger than me, but the North Hollywood shootout where two guys outfitted themselves in ballistic armament and they had, you know, semi-automatic weapons and they'd robbed a bank and they basically shot it out with cops in North Hollywood who were outgunned and outmanned. And literally these cops were running into gun stores trying to get long weapons to try to combat these guys. 
And then you fast forward to, say, 2015 and the shootout in San Bernardino where you had this young couple. They were both radical Islamists that had come to this country. They went to a community center, killed a bunch of people and then got into their vehicle. And they were, you know, they they were heavily armed. And police basically had to bring in essentially an armored personnel carrier to try to stop them, to interdict them on the highway. So should police... To your question, should police be up armored? Should they be should they be carrying, you know, what people call, you know, incorrectly weapons of war? Should they yeah, be yeah. driving around vehicles that look like they should be in Fallujah yeah, instead of on the streets of New York? Yeah. And here's my answer. Well, the bottom line is, yes, you don't need those all the time. I sure. mean, American sure. policing is, you know, we live in a fairly safe country. Yes, we have cities like Chicago and Baltimore and Detroit that that are that have a higher per capita, you know, uh, a series of violent events than, than, than other places. But do we need those in the 365 days of the year? But when you do need them, do you not want to have them at your avail? Yeah. Do you, do you want police officers to be like Barney Fife back in 1950s? <laughs> Mayberry RFD with a wheel gun with five rounds in it and, you know, not even a speed loader. So they're loading from the pouch (laughs) and dealing with people that have, you know, semi-automatic weapons. And look, we got a Second Amendment here. It's been around since 1791. And yes, I'm a firm believer in the Second Amendment that private citizens should be able to own weapons and should be able to peaceably, you know, bear arms. But the bottom line is, if we don't have a police response that can interdict, like, you know, go back to 2017, 2018, we had that series of mass shootings, school shootings. I mean, go back to 2012 in Newtown, Connecticut, and just going forward, our police have to be prepared to deal with that. We don't want to restrict private citizens' right to keep and bear arms, but we have to have a response that... On the police end, we can't meet fire with fire. We always have to be one level above the bad guy. Yes. So if you want to restrict cops and say, well, you can't have this, we want to put you down here, what happens on those isolated events that happen rarely, but when they do, you want your police to be prepared? Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the police it's almost like the police need a second amendment, if you will. Right. It's, it's, um, I don't know anything about fighting, like physically fighting, but, uh, and I haven't listened to, it, but I, I always listened to Joe Rogan in college. I graduated in 2013, but I remember he would always say that what I think his name is like an ex cop. His name is big J Ogerson. And I just remember that name because I'm, I'm OCD and I remember names, but he said like you have to have this guy during MMA fights because when you have these two guys training, these killers going after each other, but then what happens when the bell rings and maybe the tempers are still flying, you can't have, you know, you can't have Tommy going in there like, all right, guys, let's end the fight. Like, no, you got to have on, you have to have a strong arm, right? You know, it's, it's like me or me and my brothers fighting when we're little, we can duke it out, but you know, dad's going to step in if he has to you almost have to have that like you almost have to have if we're gonna live at this i guess this used up armored like up armored humvees if we're almost gonna have like an up armored society second amendment which i would which i argue defends the first amendment and which is why america is still at the top and will continue to be 
you almost have to take what comes with that though right it's it's not you don't just get one with no you can't have your cake and eat it too when there is violence it's not going to be a knife attack in a subway like in in england or something it's going to be i mean it's going to be someone going at, to mandalay bay with a long rifle and shooting at a a country a country music show so it's like you have to take that as you have to have dad to come in, right? And then again, and now you can get into some really weird 1984 lingo. Really, you need dad, you need a big brother, right? And it's, but I'm in, I'm in agreement with you 100% because if you don't, let's just look at like, I don't know, CIA, right? You go long enough time since an attack and, you know, it's, we kind of, what are we doing, man? Why are we in these countries? What? But then you watch on live TV as 147 people jump from the North Tower and hit the sidewalk at terminal velocity on a Tuesday morning. And you're going, why isn't the CIA taking the gloves off, huh? You know, why don't we have more black sites? So then we all get riled up and we beat the drums and let's go, you know, let's go fuck up some people. And we do, but then enough time passes and then like hypocrites, myself included, we start to go, man, those warmongering, Dick Cheney, George, but what are we doing? What Are we better than the Gestapo? Why do we have black sites? And then something happens, and we all go, how come we didn't take the gloves off? And it, you go, May, you, USS Maine, and then you go Pearl Harbor, and then you, well, Gulf of Tonkin, not really, but or you could say Weather Underground, Kennedy, and it's, these things happen, you know, attempt on Reagan, these things happen, and they happen, and then we all get riled up, and then we and then, you know, a decade goes by and, you know, everyone gets upset. How come we weren't there? How come? So it's almost like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Might as well be safer and uh, have to have some people screaming at you than, you know, say, all right, yeah, we're not going to have any armored vehicles. No, no military surplus MRAPs. And then 50 kids die at a kindergarten and it's OK. Now we're going to have this big hearing and we're all going to get. I'm getting way off topic. I'm just ranting. No, yeah, it's it's. You're... Yeah. You're, you're 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 spot on, and and basically what you're talking about is you're talking about that continuum that in a free society, and, yes. and this isn't a democracy as we as we're all learning, right? <laughs> it's a representative yes. public, right, yeah. with an electoral college. Yeah, we're, we're we're grinding through that right now. We have to learn this lesson every four years, yeah. right? Yeah. People go, wait a minute. So you're telling me the person that, that wins the, the the most in the popular yeah. vote, they don't win? Yeah. No, it's a representative. Republic, but in our country, right, we have a continuum, and on that continuum, the pendulum swings, and the continuum is private personal security and civil liberty. Sure. Now, where does that continuum for you end up, right? Because I want my kids, and I have five kids from 30 all the way down to 10 years old. We have a, a blended family. And I want them to be safe. So when you say personal security, I want security to be number one. But I also respect what you pointed out when you talked about the First Amendment, right? You talked about the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment, which is the right against unlawful searches and seizures, right? So those things, they can't be incongruous. They have to be. We have to find that sweet spot. And what happens after 9-11, and I was, when you talk about people jumping out of, you know, the North Tower and the South Tower, I was in lower Manhattan that day. So I literally, I didn't just see it on a video screen. I literally saw that and and the impact of, of what that did for me and understanding we are at war. Yeah. We're not at war with a country. Yeah. We are at war with an ideology. Yeah. And that ideology wants to wipe us off the face of the earth 
as you pointed out, the kid gloves have to come off. We have to address this. But we're constantly trying to find our place on that pendulum swing. And after 9-11, the Patriot came yeah, online, yeah. right? And it allowed us to snoop and poop, as we say, which means we could look into, you know, if you're if you're having conversations with 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 outside actors from other countries, yeah. we could listen in. And if we couldn't listen in, we could collect and store the metadata. Yeah. So if we needed to go back later and listen in, we could do that. Now, we're so far away from 9-11. We're 19 years away that now the pendulum swings the other way. And it's like, no, we want our civil liberties back. We don't want the government being big brother and we don't want that to happen. So, yeah, the country and the citizenry is fickle. So yeah. it depends. You know, if if Pearl Harbor gets bombed, we want to go to war against the Nazis. Yeah. But until Pearl Harbor got bombed, we were good sitting yeah. back. Yeah. It's the same thing after 9-11. So, yes, I think that the sad thing is about us as human beings and as Americans is that reflexive knee-jerk response to everything and i'll just close with this it's that old saying and and i'm a military history major from west point so i can use this there's a saying an old adage that generals are always damned for fighting the last war they're never thinking about what are the potential emergent threats? Yeah. It's, hey, we just fought Vietnam, so anything going forward is going to be like that. Exactly, we just yeah. fought in the Middle East, everything, and they're not thinking about the next emergent threat, and I think that's the way we are as Americans. Yeah, yeah. You said you said closing. Do you, do you have to go? No. Oh, no, oh, I mean, oh Closing oh, on that, oh. I, always like to, I always like to throw it back to the host. I've, okay, yeah. I, I, thought you, I thought you had to go. I was like, oh, shit, sorry. I, didn't, I, no, I thought no, I was keeping no. you. All right, all right, all right, good. Trying uh, to wrap it up. Yeah. I'm used to being on TV where yeah. I get a 20 or 30-second soundbite. Podcast, you get a little bit more, but I always want to let the host know that I'm rapping. All right, I'm going to turn off the ceiling fan. Yeah, it's, uh, all right. that's, that's, one thing I, uh, that's one thing I thoroughly enjoy about, about podcasts is uh, – you can't answer that in 30 seconds because otherwise I'm going to hit you, right? I'm just going to corner you with a, so, uh, James, you're for the militarization of the police and shooting right. men and ho- what is this, Hollywood? What do you have against Hollywood? And you got 10 right. seconds. You've already lost half your time going, I'm not talking about that. And then by the time it's over, it's like, look at this guy with a shaved head and American flag tattoo. All right, we got we got a Nazi on our hands. And then it's over, right? And it's, yeah, no, screw that. Fuck that. Um, yeah, I've often thought like, and I, I've tried to kind of put this analogy. I've tried to get it across in words more. But I'm, I'm looking at as someone. I'm 30 years old. That I've voted on 2008, 2012, 2016, 2020. I think I'm the only person I know that voted left, right, left, right. My mind changes. I grow and I change and I evolve. And I'm starting to look at it more. And as someone that's lived in the north and in the south and in urban areas and in rural areas, I've kind of got a nice spattering of, of all of it. And I've always found that once I lived somewhere for a couple of years, I first get there and I'm like, man, these people are backwards. And then as I'm there longer, I start to understand it. And then I'm like, oh, this is the way. And then I move again and the same process happens. And as I'm now at 30, and I would like to think I'm old and wise, but now I look at it and I'm like, oh, you know, if you live in South Georgia in a population of a thousand people for a couple of years, you start to understand why everyone has a shotgun in their truck. And it's because they just want hunting or your target practice. But then you go live in Atlanta for a year and you start to realize you're like, yo, you don't need to be walking around with a gun. Like, screw off. Like, there's shootings. 
I had on Rob Manning, who's the head of NASA JPL, and he talked about you know the importance of the moon for Earth in that it constantly is tugging on the Earth with tidal forces. And it keeps not only with the ocean tidal forces, but the core, it keeps the core of the Earth churning, which acts as this constant source of heat and energy that keeps the, obviously the sun as well, but it's a huge source of the energy into our system, capital S, physics, a system. And that without the moon, it wouldn't be like that. And an analogy is kind of like if you grab a paperclip, bend it back and forth really quick, you know, the center starts to get hot. All of that sort of crazy and seemingly unrelated rant to say, it kind of seems like, at least in my in my limited experience, that America works because it's always we have the moon and the earth. And that's not a good analogy because one of them is bigger and more important than the other. And I don't want to say that about left or right. But we almost have the moon and the earth of the Democrats and the Republicans or the Republicans and the Democrat pulling and churning on the core. And maybe we can't have one set thing. And then like the pendulum swings, but maybe it's not that the pendulum swings and where do we want it to rest so much as that I think we we want the pendulum to keep swimming, swinging. Because it's almost like a mechanism, right? You go left foot, right foot. Maybe you go Pearl Harbor, militarization, calm down, calm down. JFK, you know, overreach, communist scare, calm down. Reagan build up SDI, Star Wars, and Bill Clinton in the 90s. 2001, you kind of, you have this thing. And all the while, myopically, it looks like it's insanity. We can't make up our mind. What do we want? Guns or no guns, safety or liberty. But if you zoom out and you look at it, I mean, this thing's been trucking for almost 250 years. Like maybe really what it is is we're just, this is just the pistons of the engine, but the stroke cycle is fifty years instead of a millisecond. Do you th- and I've brought that up with other people, both on the left and the right, and they all kind of look at me and they say you're a moron. What do you think about that? But is that the way? Because if we just decide we all have safety, well now you're going to get a runaway fascist government. You're going to have MRAPs in every cul-de-sac. If you don't do that, you're going to go to this wild west libertarian wet dream. What is the Do you think that there maybe is evidence or not evidence? What are your thoughts on that? And feel free to shoot it down. I have thick skin. No, I, uh, I think it's unfortunate, but I mean, you know, the country's been around for what, 244 years and it still is an experiment, right? Because when you, when, when you think about, you know, the the planet is what, 4.5 billion years old. Yeah. I think civilization's been around for 200,000 years, and the United States is a drop in the bucket at 244 years. (laughs) So when we talk about this as being the great experiment, it it truly is. And that's why, as Ronald Reagan said, you know, you know, democracy is only one one generation generation away. You know, it literally is. So um, I, I believe that that. Having a two-party system is good in the sense that, you know, it balances it out because, you know, if the right goes too far this way, and I'm mm-hmm. like you, I, I voted for Democrats and I voted for Republicans. And, you know, it, you've got that balance. The problem is now the people driving the conversation, think about it as a football field. Sure. They're from the 10-yard line to the goal line on both sides. <laughs> yeah. The rest- The rest of us are between the 10 yard lines to the center field. Yeah. The fringes 
10 and in, 10 and in, they're driving the conversation. And it's not the vast majority of people that really exist between the two 10-yard lines and say, okay, I think this about this, but regarding this, I think this. That That's the majority of it. So, um, yeah, I think it's good that we have a balance that, you know, if the right gets too powerful or too full of itself or wins an election yeah. two years later, the left can do the same thing. Yeah. The problem is, it's just like the old saying about the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's the loud voices uh, on the extremes that drive the conversation. It's not the people on the inside that go like me, that, hey, I'm fiscally conservative, but on the social end, I'm probably just to the left of center yeah, on that. So yeah. let me find that sweet spot. But you can't run a campaign nationally on that where you go, hey, I want to be responsible with taxpayers' money, but I also want to do the right thing for people, and I want to be appreciative of social issues that are important to people on the left. You can't run on that. You've got to run on this or that. And unfortunately, that's the problem in our two-party system. You know, Henry Ford said, whether you think you're right or you think you're wrong, you're probably right. So I would like to think that that was your informal announcement for your presidential run in 2024, right? Ain't happening. That's what I heard. That's what I, I, I heard. I'm know, reading between I, the lines. I'm Hey, I see it. I Look, I learned a long time ago. Look, 40 or 50 or 60 years ago, maybe. But the way it is now at the national level or even at the state level, they don't just try to destroy you. They try to destroy your family. And that's why I think a lot of good people will never run for higher office because they look at it and they go, I don't want to subject my family to that. Look, I'm happy in my tiny little upstate New York village, and I'm happy to serve, and I'm, a, I'm an elected village trustee. I'm going to run for mayor here, but it's a small little yeah. enclave. Once you go beyond that, I mean, I want to say even at the county level, but especially at the state level, once you go there, everything is fair play now. And I cannot countenance that. I yeah. just can't. Like I said, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, when there was a respect between you want to attack me, that's fine, but you can't attack my wife or my family or my rescued pit bull. But now everything and anything is in play, which means that, and I'm not saying it's me, you know, that I'm the good person, but it keeps good people out of state and national politics. Obviously very easy for me to talk. I'm single. I don't have a pet. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Easy for me to talk about it, but because I'm a hip, hypocritical asshole, I'm going to hop up on a high horse. If, but if you want to stay out of that, and I'm saying this as as a devil's advocate, not against you as individually, but if you don't want to subject your family to that, well, that just. But doesn't that mean that we let these radicals on both sides push this farther along that it eventually is going to come to all of our families? No, because I think there's different ways to serve. Okay. Like, I, I, I truly believe that. Sure. And the reason I ran for a, in a local election, and again, you know, I, I'm a tr village trustee in a tiny upstate New York, bucolic, idyllic. Let me think of some more adjectives. Nor Norman Rockwell. Right, well, yes, yes, it, it, it truly is. It is the it is the town that time forgot was because I'd spent my lifetime, I'd spent eight years in the U.S. military, mm -hmm. 25 years in the FBI, and I just felt I wanted to give back locally. Local politics is vastly different from national politics. When I'm on Twitter, 
and I like to <laughs> I like to go on Twitter and I like to, to to shoot my views and say this and argue with people in the whole nine yards. It's very different than the way that I am when I deal with people on my Facebook page who are local. And yeah. why is that? Because Twitter is national level stuff. We can argue about whether or not Trump should have won or Biden should have won, sure. or whether or not the Democratic <laughs> Socialists should be considered relevant or whether or not you know authoritarianism is in because trump won election so that's where i do that at the local level there are no political parties yeah so i ran on you know the my 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 little town you know i made up my own name for my party because we don't run you're not a d or an r and at that level look people just want you to make sure the trains run on time yeah they want to make sure the garbage gets picked up they want to make sure that all the utilities and all the things that the village provides are available to them and yes sometimes there are bigger more macro level things to deal with but we do it whether or not you voted for bernie sanders in the primary whether or not you voted for donald trump we work i'm going to say that i appreciate I wouldn't want to go to the next level, which is, oh, my gosh, if you choose to be a Biden guy or a Trump guy, you're bad because of this reason. At the local level, we try to keep that out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like um, but I kind of look at it more and more like, um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Twitter or social media, jump on and shoot your views off. What I do is like I like to get on whether it's whether I'm left or right, depending on where I am in life. I like to hop on and I visualize it as like um, like the actual movie Black Hawk Down, right? Jump out from behind the corner with your AK and you just spray and then they jump back in. You know, they're high on caught and they're just... That's what I do is I hop on social media. I spray some bullshit. I disable notifications. I never... I delete the app off my... I'm not making this up. I delete the app off my phone. A couple days later, I see an article I want to push or a meme. Hop on, put it on there, make it the story, jump off. And I just... I have no idea, but just... Just you know, incite the fire. I throw the napalm into the jungle and then run away. But yeah, it's it, it definitely takes on a completely different, a completely different nature. But the more and more people I talk to on this podcast, and I'm finding it's yeah, whether you're looking on Facebook or Twitter, right? You get those, you just see someone's status or a meme, and you're like, fuck this. Enter adjective. This fascist Republican. This communist Democrat. But then when I have those same people on my podcast, like my buddy Ernie, I mean, like, look how white I am. I'm from New England. I'm a white Roman Catholic male with blue eyes and a conservative. And then I have on my buddy Ernie, who I went to college with, and we used to drink vodka and play video games together. Born in Mexico, first generation immigrant, worked in the Democratic Party and interned for Obama. We are polar opposites. And if he or I ever comment on each other's stuff on Facebook, it gets heated. But he's been on this podcast several times. And when we can have like an hour long conversation, it's nothing but love. It is just we're seeing each other eye to eye. We make concessions. It's OK. I see where you're coming from. And but the point of me saying that is with everyone I talk to about that, you start to see everyone truly does feel like that they are in the middle 10 to 10 yard line. But then they all say the same thing. No one could ever run a party from the center because that doesn't work. So now it's nine out of every 10 people I talk to are all saying, I'm in the center, but a center party would never work. Now I'm feeling like there's this massive underswell and why doesn't someone just try? 
Because you might get an overwhelming, which is why, again, I'm pushing you for the 2024 presidential election. So uh, I'm going to pretend you didn't ask that. But now now think about what you just said. So we're engaging right now on a flat two-dimensional medium. Now, it's not as bad as email because email, you're just a name to me. Mm -hmm. And I get lots of email and you deal with a lot of people on email. Um, If you text somebody, um, that is a flat two-dimensional medium yeah this is still flat and two-dimensional but there's a little bit more depth in it because you give somebody an opportunity whether it's your buddy that you spoke about the first generation immigrant or me you give them the ability to go if you if you make me answer in a soundbite i'm going to sound like a nazi yeah if you allow me to build it out you'll go okay now i get it that makes sense you're not a nazi or you're not a socialist whatever the whatever the pejorative of, of the hour is yeah Human communication, right? Connection. 55% of what you and I are doing right now is body language. Yep. 38% is tone. 7% are the dopey words we're exchanging. Now, quickly do the math because you went to school in New England, so you're smarter than I grew up in Georgia. Hey, so I went to school in Georgia. 55, 38 plus seven, I believe equals 100. Now, having said that, right, we're communicating on still, we're communicating not in person. Yeah. And I'm loath to do this because I've been highly critical of Jim Comey. So I served in the FBI for 25 years. The FBI has been around since 1908 Mm -hmm. for 112 years. In that time, and this is an incredible statistic, right? Yeah. There have only been eight Senate approved FBI directors. Now you say, how is that possible? Well, during that period of time, J. Edgar Hoover, the first FBI director, served in that capacity for 48 years. Okay? So he he he, he chewed up a chunk of it. Oh, yeah. Now Where am I going with this, right? I mean, people are like, we don't care about your history of the FBI. What I'm going on is I served under four of the eight Senate-approved, not actings, but Senate-approved FBI directors from Jared Hoover on. I served under four of the eight in 25 years. The last one I served under was James Comey. Now, your viewers and your listeners are going to understand and know who James Comey is. He's obviously been in the news for better or for worse, whatever your position is. I love to tell this story about James Comey because I've been harshly critical of him as a leader and because of what I believe he did to damage the FBI post-FBI. Once he left the FBI, once he was fired and what he's done. But this story about James Comey is something that, you know, helps, I think, for your for your followers, for your viewers, for your listeners to understand, we're all complex human beings. There's parts of us that are good. There's parts of us that are not so good. I believe James Comey is that same conflicted, complex individual. I don't like the decisions he made at the end of his FBI. He was the FBI director for three years, eight months, and five days. You can look it up because I'm a savant when it comes to that stuff. I don't agree with what he's done post FBI. And again, I get it. He's got a protagonist or an antagonist on the other side. But here's the thing. When James Comey was the deputy attorney general for the Department of Justice, 
back during the first Bush 43 administration. So let's go back to 2003. James Comey is the number two in the Department of Justice in a Republican administration. George W. Bush had been president for a couple of years. John Ashcroft was the attorney general at the time. So James Comey is the deputy attorney general. He's at the Department of Justice, what we call main justice down in Washington, D.C., right down the street from the White House, very close to walking distance from FBI headquarters on Pennsylvania Avenue. So it's a it's a rainy afternoon, right? And it, the rain is coming down in buckets. It's just sheets of rain. Jim Comey, the number two at the Department of Justice at the time, walks out of his office. It's about 5.05 in the afternoon. He's got his London fog over his arm. And he's got a briefcase and he's all of six foot eight. And he's striding down the hallway and he bumps into a guy who's coming around another corner and it's Chris Christie. Now, Chris Christie, as we now know today, is a former Republican presidential candidate, former governor for the state of New Jersey. But in 2003, he was the United States attorney for the state of New Jersey. And so he's down at Maine Justice meeting, doing stuff on organized crime work, drug work. He's working on behalf of the people of the state of New Jersey. And he bumps into Jim Comey as Comey's coming out of his office. And Chris Christie stops and says, Jim, where are you going? And Comey stops and says, well, I'm headed to the airport. I'm going out of Reagan today. I'm flying up to New York. And Chris Christie looks at him and says, are you crazy? It's a Friday afternoon in D.C., pouring rain outside. And you don't have any relatives in New York. I mean, you got family in Connecticut, but why are you flying up to New York? Jim Comey says, well, the New York Times editorial board sent me some questions and wanted to ask me those questions, and I'm going to go up and meet with them. Chris Christie takes a step back and goes, are you nuts? Have you lost it? Have you read the New York Times? I mean, you do realize that you are going up to New York and you are going to enter the lion's den. That is a pit of vipers. The New York Times editorial board, are you insane? Why don't you just shoot them an email back, answer the questions and don't deal with them face to face? Jim Comey stops, a dramatic pause and says, because Chris, it's impossible to hate up close. Oh, and shit. as I look at James Comey, a man that I've been hypercritical of on the air at CNN and in, in op-eds that I've written, that's a great story. That's an Jim Comey story. knew that dealing with the New York Times at that period of time, they hated the Bush administration. Sure. They were not a fan of John Ashcroft as the you know attorney general for the United States. And Jim Comey was going to go meet with them face to face and sit down when he could have just shot an email to him. And he says, nope, I'm going to talk to him because face to face is so different from that flat two dimensional meeting medium of I'm going to type them some answers. And I never forgot that. And so any opportunity I had, I heard this story probably in the late 2000s. And I was still in the FBI at the time. And I was like, and Jim Comey wasn't the FBI director yet. But I always thought that I'm like, wow, that's really powerful. Any opportunity I have to meet somebody face to face, 
even people that are the biggest trolls in the world. But if they're local and they want to talk to me about a local issue or they're people that have an issue with something I said on CNN, if there's an opportunity to meet them face to face, it's impossible to hate up close. I think that's brilliant. That's absolutely because you're right. You meet any at, and that's and it's not even in the sense of like you know say it to my face. It's just yeah, you go up and you're like, "What's up, man? How are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, you can't just attack someone like, "Oh, you're a dirty commie. You're a dirty Nazi." It's just like, well, I, I had these questions. And you just sit down and you offer. That's brilliant. Well, one of the things I think that for me helped solidify that was I got hired by CNN back in 2017. Uh-huh. So. This was a period of time where CNN went from, you know, straight down the middle, straight news reporting to became a little bit, let's just say, hostile toward the current administration. And, you know, when I was on panels or whatever, and again, I'm in the law enforcement realm. They didn't hire me for my political views. They hired me to call balls and strikes in law enforcement stuff. But still, I mean, law enforcement, unfortunately, in 2020, there's an intersection with politics or with policy. And one of the things I appreciated about, about being at CNN was not a lot of people there think the way that I do. You know, yeah. there are not a lot of retired law enforcement guys there, former military guys, people that are, you know, that grew up in the deep South that are, you know, preternaturally, you know, conservatives. Sure. And so I appreciated that when I got hired there because it gave me an opportunity to do what? To grow. Meet, meet that, but meet people like David Axelrod or Chris Cuomo or uh, Don Lemon, people that, you know, Paul Begala, Joe Lockhart, people that in my world, my paths would never have yeah. crossed with. But in the green room, you get to talk to those people and all of a sudden you're like, it's just he's a not dude. a bad guy. It's just a dude. It's, this is right. just a dude. Yeah. Right. I often so, think about that. Yeah. Like, so that was that goes back to Jim Comey's famous saying. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to hate up close. There was I forget who it was. There was a super uh, uh, liberal journalist in the 70s. And and somehow or another, he was invited to like Nixon. Nixon had or was at a super nice apartment or penthouse in Manhattan or whatever. And he ended up going over for drinks like the wives talked and they went and talked. And this guy hated Nixon said he's in he recalls this story he goes i was a little drunk and my and my tongue got loose and i said i can't believe i'm having a drink with someone who i thought was the epitome of evil because he said after that he goes he goes not only is he not a bad guy he goes i think that's the smartest man i've ever met in my life and he goes it takes so much humility to say that but that's my favorite there's nothing i love more than like meeting someone who on paper i'm like fuck that person and i walk away i'm like Dude's pretty chill, right? You could have a beer with that guy. That guy's, you know. But it also helps you, you then must conclude, okay, they have different politics than me. Well, if that's a normal dude who's got a dog and a you know, wife and some kids and whatever, got a used car, you're like, if that's a normal dude I can shoot the shit with, you must conclude that whatever led to their politics isn't some nefarious, anti-American backstory but rather oh just a difference in backgrounds and a difference in life events that culminated in a different person that's what i love yeah 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 that's so true no so true and i think you know when it comes to 
when it comes to the way that the country is so riven by partisan political differences right now, or for me, you know, looking at the policing profession, and we touched on it early on in this conversation about the militarization of police or, you know, how has policing changed over time? And yeah. is, you know, is is policing what what people are saying now? Is it an arm of white supremacy? Yeah, is it, yeah. you know, is it, uh, is it about authoritarianism? And is it about, you know, keeping particular races, you know, oppressed? And as I look through that and I study that and, and, and I become, and it's true, an advocate for policing because that's, that's what I do. But from the academic perspective and from the, you know, the practitioner perspective, having been in that, trying to explain policing and trying to explain not just what the job is, but what the people that are attracted to the profession, what they're about and what their mindset is and trying to explain that to people that, to your point, that look at them and say, boy, you look like a bunch of jackbooted thugs. You look like a bunch of Nazis. You look like a bunch of, you know, hey, it's it's the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965 mm-hmm. from Montgomery to mm-hmm. Birmingham. And you're and you're there with 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 attack dogs and, yeah. and, and, and fire hoses. hoses. And trying to explain that. So a big part of that is just trying to find people that are open to discuss it and that don't shut it down because so much now on both sides, but so much now, especially with the left and trying to talk to them when they are so um, charged up with this abolish the police, defund the police nonsense and trying to explain to them, we live in a very, we're blessed that we have people that make a pittance for a salary that are willing to go to the sound of the guns that are willing to put their lives on the line. And they will, they will do that. Whether you're black, white, brown, green, male, female, immigrant, non-immigrant, whatever it is, but trying to make sure that people understand that. And right now, because we're talking past each other become really difficult to do. Yeah. As, as well as, yeah, as well as, I mean, as well as like censorship, like, I, I look at it as like a free market like dude if someone wants to go out and spew some horrible shit let them spew some horrible shit and let all of their friends stop talking to them make it so that no girls want to fuck them no one wants to buy them a drink no one wants to invite them over to watch football it has its own natural feedback system yeah. but the idea that the idea that you're just gonna because when you when you say you can't look at this you don't look at that story I'm silencing that I went from not giving a shit to now I'm like, no, I want to read it. You know what? You know, that's like, you can't, you know, right now I'm reading about Oswald and it's like, he never had any problem. Lee Harvey Oswald. He never had any problem getting his hand on like communist papers. And that's what it was is like, you know, they're like, he was like questioned, like who, who told you to read the, the Das Kapital who told you to read? And he was like, no one, I just went to the library and got it. But it's, I go from that to say like, when you try to silence stuff, to me, that is because at the very basis, we have to at least be able to agree to disagree. When you wipe out someone's ability to even look at something and tell you I disagree, well, that's nothing good comes after that. Because right, right now we're at the beginning of trench warfare verbally, and we saw how that went from 1915 to 18 and 14 to 18, and it didn't work out too well. But 
almost four o'clock. Can I keep you for like another ten minutes, and then we'll wrap this bitch up? You got it. Sounds All right. good. All right. Um, so, from a stance of and I hope so. I would love to have you on here another a second time. Or, you got it. Or a hundredth time. Yeah. Is is pure speculation now? So now we're just going wild speculation. If you were, if anyone listening was hoping for like factual or citation based arguments, tune out now. How does how does the election or how does the the shit show this this absolute there's no other word for it shit show of a U.S. election? You know, of course, 2020 ends. I don't know why I thought 2020 would give us anything other than a complete shit show of. Oh, maybe it will end well. No, 2020. It you know what? It came through as well as it should have come through. This is of course how 2020 ends. How does this election end? What what the hell happens? I was I vaguely I was ten years old during the Bush Gore thing, and I vaguely vaguely remember like watching it on TV every night and being like, why is this still going on? But even that is just, I mean, that was I was in fourth grade. This is obviously um more fully conscious and aware of what's going on. What it how do you see this going on or ending or carrying out or unfolding? This is how I see this all unfolding and ending. The founding fathers were brilliant. They are fucking geniuses. <laughs> and so the constitutional guardrails that they put in place, right? The constitutional guardrails will hold. There are people on the left that panicked about Trump being elected and his, you know, his craziness and his, his, you know, his inability to, you know, to, to, to deal with things the way that we expected with, with norms and institutional guidelines, the constitutional guardrails that the, the founding fathers put into place will hold. This is going to be painful. And look, the president has every right to challenge and question. Um, I, for one, believe that voter fraud is real. Do I believe that it is something, as the president says, at a systemic level versus an episodic level? No. Okay. I believe it's at an episodic level. However, I don't understand why the left is so against voter ID. And I don't understand why we can't acknowledge that people do cheat. Now, do they cheat to the extent that Donald Trump is going to win this election because there was a hidden coup? I don't believe so. I truly don't. I believe our systems are robust enough that it would prevent that. But we're going through a tough time right now. I think once this is all said and done and once this is all over, the president is going to have to concede. There's going to have to be a peaceful transition of power and everything will be fine. Now, Donald Trump is is no politician that we've ever seen in our lifetime. But guess what? We will survive this. And, you know, we'll deal with something else four years from now, something else eight years from now. There'll be different things. But I do believe the system is robust enough and is fortified enough that we're going to survive this hell yeah that's how i that's how i look at it is like what's going on right now is insane but 2008 2001 i mean the president having 
the back of his head blown off at the in the in a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis, and we got out of that. And I don't say that in a disrespectful norm. I just think of that right at the brink of thermonuclear Armageddon, and a year later, he gets shot in the head, and we got through that. I tend to think that we're going to get through this. I don't. I look at it as like a. I look at it as like a like an ego like an egocentric thing, right? You know, it's it's like a. I wonder what people think about me, and the truth is, is no one's thinking about you. It's not that they think good or bad. It's just that the reality is, is no one's as outside of your immediate family, no one's thinking about you. I tend to look at that. I'm like, how egocentric? How will we ever survive this? And the if if she could be conscious. I think America's looking at this right now is like, yeah, this is like a stub toe. It's kind of a bitch. But, you know, like I've been shot in the arm before. I've broken a collarbone like this is this is annoying, but I'll take that splinter out and keep going forward. That's that's how I how I think of it is. I think we're going to get through this just fine. I do hope I do hope there is national voter ID simply because I want, regardless of my beliefs at whatever time they are at whatever election in the future, at the very least, the person who wins should win, and there should be no question about it. That guy won. Shit. But he won. This isn't... We can't keep doing this. We did it for four years after 2016, and it looks like we're gearing up for it again. This can't keep going on. The whole, we're going to win, we're going to win, we lost. Well, we didn't really lose. And it's like, okay, well, what are we doing now? Are we just, are we going to bicker forever? Like, no, we did this. We tried to duke it out in the 1860s. Nothing good came of it. Everybody just died. Are we really going to do it again? And I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't know why voter ID is, um, is controversial, right? I need it to buy alcohol. I need it to get a license. I need it to go to the airport. I need it to do anything. I need it to buy NyQuil. Why can't I just show it? <laughs> right? It's. Right. I watched an interview with 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 Marilyn Manson on uh on Larry King from like the late nineties or something, and he's just sitting there, of course, you know, just looking like a satanic worshiper, but he's just very calm, cool, collected. He's like, I went and voted today, and um, they didn't ask for me for my ID. That was kind of weird. But I was just thinking, I was like, this is like an, this permeates all thought processes of all, I mean, Marilyn fucking Manson on Larry King was like, that's a little weird that you don't need your ID. So I'm with you on that. Like, let's, let's wrap that up with, with voter ID, but we will wrap this bitch up right now. Thanks for the conversation, man. That was awesome. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And that was awesome. Well, I appreciate you asking me and, uh. I'll take you up on that. I hope you do have me back because there's plenty of stuff we can talk about, and uh, I would look forward to it. Absolutely, man. My party, you walk on whenever you – and I don't – trust me. If I didn't want you back on, I'd be like, thanks for coming, dude, and then I'd just never talk to you again. Um, please, please put me in touch with Christopher Whitcomb. I will geek you got out. It. I will geek out. But I'll send you an email. Let's definitely do an episode in the future. Wait, how do I say your last name? I should have asked before we started. Gagliano. Galliano. Galliano. It's Sicilian. The second G is silent. James A. Galliano. Thank you for coming on, sir. And um, yeah, thank you for giving me an hour of your time, man. I appreciate it. You got it. All right. Thank you. And uh, I'll make it happen with Wickham. I'll, I'll get in touch with him and make it happen. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless America. Stay safe, everybody. You have a good one, my man.